Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. Back to our regular schedule. We're going to have Coach Harvey Hyde on the show talking all about USC football. If you have any questions for the show, send them all in. we got a bunch in the, in our email box, podcast at uscfootball.com, where you can leave us a voicemail by calling 641-715-3900, extension 816-646, or go to our website, peristylepodcast.com. Click on the left side of the page. You can leave a voicemail right from your computer or device. If you want to subscribe to the show, we are on iTunes. We are on uh, Google Play. So if you're an Android or an iPhone, either one of those platforms on iTunes, we have our own URL, iTunes.com slash Peristyle Podcast. So uh, we're also on Stitcher Radio. Audio Boom is our host. Our, our They've been great to us over the past year or so. Go to audioboom.com. You can find our Peristyle Podcast channel there. So lots of different ways to get us. And listen to the Peristyle podcast. We're going to have Coach on again today. Like I said, we'll try to get, try to do a couple more this week. We'll have Dan Weber and I want to get Gerard Martinez talking about recruiting. We haven't had an update from him since the opening. So I want to kind of do that as well. So lots going on here. Fall camp's coming up just in a couple of weeks and I want to welcome the coach in because we've got lots of topics about USC football. It's getting to be that time. Coach football's almost here. Oh, I know it's a very important time of the year. We talked about that last week. I want to welcome everybody. I hope that people out there have, have enjoyed their summer. There's still a lot left this summer, but schools start so much earlier now. In the high schools, uh, people are starting school in the middle of August. I remember when I was in high school, it used to be right after Labor Day. So football season is not uh, far away. Camp opens for USC. I think it's August the 4th. So uh, we're almost there, right? We're almost there. So uh, start to get ready, guys. Get that football fever. Get the football fever. I love it, Coach. People are starting to get it. There's no uh, no NBA right now, no football right now. It's kind of a, a slow time. Of course, on, on Wednesday when there was actually no sports, the only day of the year, there's no sports from the big four sports out there. So uh, we're really excited to get football going again. And um, I'm excited, too. I got to go to a baseball game, uh, our Angels game over the weekend. And I uh, see my former, my former beat writer, Dan Weike. Congratulations to him and Amanda. They got engaged. Uh, right before the game, so that was kind of fun. Uh, but if you want to go, you can still go to baseball games. And, of course, football's coming up. Uh, SCTickets.com has been our sponsor for a long time. Go to SCTickets.com or call them at 1-800-888-7287 if you need tickets for anything. And, I, lo- you know, even if you're not a big baseball fan, go and I, lo- I grew up watching baseball, so I love baseball. But I love just going to games every once in a while. Coach, it's fun. we got a couple options here in Southern California. Even in San Diego, it's beautiful. Uh, going to the, the, you know, I think it's Petco Park, they call it, it near, near the uh, downtown area. So cool stuff up and down here. And of course, across the country, if you want to go to sctickets.com, they'll hook you up. They can hook you up, Ryan. I'll tell you, I go to a baseball game when I want to relax. I mean, you can actually relax. You don't have to watch every single thing that's happening. I get in conversations with people and maybe I'll miss a, a couple of pitches and I'll hear the bat and I'll say, what happened on that play? So it's a place you can socialize. It's a place you can relax and kick back. And, uh, you know, the weather's going to be beautiful here coming up. So get a, get get out to the ball game because pretty soon it's going to be football and you're not going to want to do anything but watch all the games. <laughs> and what a great Labor Day weekend we have of college football too, right? Oh, man, crazy. So many good games out there. So many good games. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but looking forward to all of that. Well, so a couple topics I wanted to bring up with you, Coach, before we jump into the questions. Um the first one we were talking about off air, the new rule, the NCAA replay rule about targeting. Let me get your thoughts on that, of what's going on with the uh, this new way that they can you know, stop the game. It doesn't have to be a flag on the field for this to go through. No, you're right. Uh, the rule change, uh, change was approved in May by the NCAA Rules Committee. And uh, they want to make sure that all of the, you know, uh, what do you want to call the, the, the penalties like the head-to-head contact, targeting penalties, let's use that term, are caught. And sometimes they aren't. Sometimes uh, the you know, officials do the best job they can in officiating the game. 
but they can't see the whole game all the time. You're watching the play and you're trying to uh, watch what your area is of responsibility, but you might miss one. So if they see one and the crowd sees one uh, and they're in the replay booth, they can stop the game and they can go back, replay it, and they have more authority now and they can uh, call down to the referee and they can and change the, the call. They can call that penalty from the booth. So uh, if you were watching TV and you saw it and everybody in the stands saw it, but the, uh, the players who, who saw it probably saw it or felt it when he got hit and nothing was called, uh, the targeting call, it now can be administered under the normal procedures, procedures excuse me, in the booth. So uh, this, again, is another way to try to uh, have safety on the field and uh, know uh, away from the plays, play itself, uh, targeting by a player, another player who are getting it on somewhere else in the play with officials miss it. So I think it's going to be a positive. Uh, there's been a lot of controversy over that rule. They've tweaked it, I think, almost every year. So uh, it always comes up. I mean, officiating just always becomes such a big part of the college football game, Coach. You'd, you'd like to see it not as, as be as big a part of it is, but it just always seems to kind of to come up. And, they're, you know, the different, you know, the, the way they do it in the NFL and the way they do it with the NCAA, um, they're kind of getting closer to get some areas closer together, some area further apart. But do you think this is overall it's a good thing for college football? Yeah, I do. I think it is. And another thing, too, they're going to watch very closely this season is is the quarterback when he's considered defenseless is when he begins his slide to the ground. In the past, he wasn't considered defenseless until he hit the ground. So once he starts to begin his slide, you can tell he's going to slide uh, in the ground. Then he is defenseless the way they feel. So you have to leave him alone. You can't hit him. Now, I don't know if I like that coach as much. It's because it's so difficult right now. You know, when you're talking about that or players going out of bounds, you have these dynamic quarterbacks that can to pull moves off and make you miss. And if you're a tackler and you're, you're like, you're really, you know, trying to tackle this guy who's elusive and big, strong and fast and he starts to go down. Is it, a, is he making a move or is he really giving himself up? It, you know, if it's not clear that the, the player is giving himself up or stepping out of bounds, you've seen players go towards the out of bounds marker, you know, sideline and then step back in. You put these defenders in a really tough spot having to make a split second decision. And if they make the wrong one, you, you give them a penalty. It's just, I don't know if that's really fair for the defensive side of the football. Well, you know, Ryan, you make a good point there. And I agree with you 100%. The next thing you'll see coaches starting to teach fake the, fake your knee going down and, right. and then get back up and start running again. So, you know, you're right. You know, uh, uh, that is a disadvantage again to the defense. And the defense has so many, uh, whether, you know, they can't touch receivers now. They they ought to watch how they tackle. All the different things that go on, go on on the defensive side of the ball. It's an offensive game right now for excitement that it really is limiting uh, a lot of the defensive play that players have played for so many years. I agree with you on that one. Uh, the other one, Coach, um, USC put out, a, I think it was a, a YouTube video with one of the representatives from Nike kind of showing some uniform changes. Uh, there was like road uniform changes and some socks and stuff. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on uh, the the updated uniform. They're trying to keep the tradition alive still, but I guess give it a little fresh, you know, kind of give it an update. Nothing major, but, you know, some some smaller changes. Well, you made a good statement there. Keep the tradition alive. Now, Ryan, the way you, you keep the tradition alive is you win, okay? That's the way you take keep the tradition alive. People really don't care what you wear. You can be out there in your underwear if you're winning. But, again, the tradition of USC as far as the helmet, the jerseys, the pants, the socks, the shoes, all of that is well known by everybody. And when you watch a game on television, you know who USC is. The announcer doesn't have to tell you. But now it's getting more to the changing of the uniforms where you have to wait to look at the scoreboard or hear the announcer during the game who's broadcasting to tell you who it is. And I'm, I, and I'm not a stout supporter of that. I'm one that likes to uh, have tradition, know who the team is, be proud to put that uniform on, and wear that uniform the way it's been worn the number of years that all the great players who have played at USC wear, how they wore it. 
Now, one thing that was good about the change is they announced, too, that they're going back to the white socks, black shoes, and white shoelaces. Now, that's what a football player has always worn at USC. And if you're an alumnus, you've seen it that way through the great years of college football. That's the way they wear it. It's a sharp look, and I'm really happy about that. That's the way uniforms are supposed to fit and look. As long as all the levels of the socks are the same, I'm big on that. I used to have in the locker room a line on the uh, locker room where your socks, everybody's sock was at the same height. The shoelaces and shoes were polished every single week with new shoelaces. All the little things that make you feel important when you go on the field. It's a special day on game day. Now, as far as the jerseys and the new numbers and stuff, you know, why? Let me ask you why. A number is a number, isn't it? Is 70 different when it's drawn a different way? Is it a special number? I like it where you can read it. I like it when the color stands out where you don't have to say, what number is that when you're watching it on TV or you're watching the game in person. I like to see the same, same helmet. I like recognizing, recognizing my team. Now, for all of you that don't agree with me, that's fine. That's fine. The next time you get dressed up to go somewhere, wear a red tie, a yellow jacket, and green slacks, okay? And uh, maybe wear some uh, white tennis shoes, and you'll look pretty good. But people will look at you and say, wow, that's pretty crazy. Well, if you feel good in it, wear it. Maybe that's a new style. But I'm a guy that likes the style that looks sharp and the style that you're proud of and the way you come on and off the field. And I want you to look like a football player, okay? And and I think that's the way you look when you go to a prom or you go to a party. You dress, uh, you look good, and uh, you're proud of what you wear. All right, we got fashion advice from Coach Harvey Hyde. I love it. That's Listen. it. Well, I'll be in Vogue magazine here shortly. <laughs> well, speaking of magazines, Coach, that's our first our first question. Not about Vogue, but Earl in West L.A. wrote in. And he says, I'm curious to know which college football publications you read during the summer to gain insight on the upcoming season. There are quite a few on the market, and I was wondering which ones you would recommend uh, outside of uscfootball.com, of course. Thank you for all you do, Earl in West L.A. Well, you know, Phil Steele's uh, magazine is one that uh, I read. Uh, it's, uh, it's like the football Bible. I don't know if you people read it, but they have different editions, a national edition, a West Coast edition. They have a lot of different editions. They're really a, a wonderful, wonderful book to read. Then you've got uh, Lindy. Uh, you've got, uh, I think Sports Illustrated has one. I uh, forget, what's the other one's name? It starts with an A. Athlon. A- yeah, Athlon. They've got one, and I've looked at all of these. Uh, and you get a comparison. I like to look at them to compare and see what all the riders are thinking about the different teams. And, the, you know, some are somewhat right on with the same teams. And when you look at their power ratings and when you look at uh, their rankings, and, you know, they're always the same teams, but sometimes in different orders, and they have different reasons. But I like doing it because it refreshes me to what the team did last year, how many returning starters are back, uh, and all of the above. Like right now, when you look at the Pac-12, you don't read really much about national contenders. You don't really read about Heisman Trophy winners, except for that young man at Stanford, McCaffrey. Yes, he should be, and probably is one in the top three for the Heisman Trophy as long as he gets the number of touches that he's supposed to get. And David Shaw says he's going to get him. He had 400 last year, and he'll get 400 or more this year. And I talked to Jim Moore on Saturday, and he says, we guarantee you we're not punting the ball to him. I guarantee you he will not return a punt against us, because we'll kick the ball out of bounds first. So, you know, he's a guy that you can't stop, but he's a guy you got to slow down in order to have a chance to beat Stanford. So, you know, I I enjoy the readings. I know, Ryan, you probably read them, too, and a lot of our listeners out there read them. I think it's great to sit back and refresh yourself on last year and the coming season and look at all the schedules and what people think. So that's where I go. You can get them at bookstores. Uh, There's special sports stores that have them. In the past, you used to get them everywhere, but you can't do that now. Yeah, it's uh, they're harder to find the the written word. But a lot of people like to have that in their hand, and... And use it as a reference. Um, so check those out. All right. 
Tark had a question, coach. He said, if Clay Helton could say at Pac-12 Media Day that Max Brown would have started had there been a game following the spring game, why didn't he just name Brown the starter then? Good question. Uh, <laughs> uh, I've, you know, you and I have discussed this. In fact, we had a good session on it last week regarding how important it is for the team to look up to someone and how that individual becomes your leader. And, and like I said before, and we talked last week about it, uh, if you didn't hear that, uh, podcast, make sure you go back and listen to it because we spent a lot of time talking about the offensive line and the quarterback position. Uh, I don't know, Ryan, why he can't just come out and make a decision and say, this is what we're doing. Max Brown is our starting quarterback, and it's his job to lose. And Sam Darnold, if he can beat him out, Max Brown will hand him the football because he knows he's a better football player. But he's deserving of that respect, and he's deserving of the opportunity to be the starting quarterback, especially when you make that type of statement. So I can't answer that for Coach Helton, and uh, he will answer that when he makes his decision on exactly what he's planning on doing. Yeah, so we should know about two weeks before the game, uh, according to what Clay Helton said at Pac-12 Media Day. He wants to, you know, release the two deep then, let people know, here's the starters, here's, you know, if if you're a starter, you know it, if you're you know, third string and you got to fight your way to get up higher on the depth chart. You'll know that too. So he, he made it pretty clear. That's what he wants to do. It's just a, you know, a unique situation because of the Max Brown already graduate, being a graduate and he could transfer out. Uh, the longer that you wait into fall camp, I think the harder it would be for him to transfer somewhere and be able to play because, you know, we, we saw that, you know, Vernon Adams came late and he was able to do that, but um, that's a long way to go. So, I would hope that after the first week of fall camp, if it's looking like Sam Darnold is going to be the starter, that they let Max know, you know, and I think you kind of know from reps on the field too, uh, you know, right now, summer workouts, Max Brown gets all the first team reps. So he's working with the, the ones. He's the guy that's always been ahead as far as who's going first, who's going second. If that changes a week into fall camp and you start seeing Sam Darnold getting all the first team reps, I think at that point, then you'd have to say something to Max, like, hey, Max, you know, we don't want to put you in a bad spot, but I think Sam's going to win. At least give him the opportunity. And, you know, who knows? Max Brown might be doing his homework already just in case, like, hey, if I'm not named the starter, here's where I can be lined up to go. And, uh, you know, they have the graduate program I want. I, you know, there's a good opportunity for me to come in and start right away. It's a it's a really weird situation right now at the USC quarterback. And I, I kind of agree with Tark. I think it would have probably been better just to name Max the starter at this point. Uh, but these are, you know, these are difficult decisions that head coaches have to make. And this is Clay Helton's first time around. So, I mean, it, it you know, I, it, it's just really, it's his first go around at this. So, uh, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. I know, you know, Lane Kiffin probably regretted not naming a starter on the year he got fired when you had Cody Kessler and, and Max Wittick both playing in the, the first couple games of the season. It would have been better to just go back and name a starter. I think he probably would admit that now. And we'll see, you know, if, if Clay Helton, you know, six months from now, I was like, you know, it would have been better off if I named Max Brown the starter or not. You know, no, we have to see how what he picks, how it works out. And then later on, we can look back and go, yeah, it would have probably been better if he did the other thing or if he did the right thing. No, you're right, Ryan. And, I, and I'll tell you, they spend a lot of time with these kids in meetings and watching films and and uh, knowing the personalities behind the scenes with these kids. And so, uh, you know, we just uh, talk about what we observe and what we watch. We don't know inside what's going on. Maybe he's already made that discuss or had that discussion with these players. We don't know, and it's for us not to know, but to find out. So what we do when we discuss this, it's only what we hear or what we know or what we see. It's not really uh, the true thing that could be going on. We don't know. Yeah. All right. Uh, Martin in Ontario, California had a question. So there's been a lot of talk about the offensive line. Uh, defensive line and quarterbacks, uh, which are all big questions, but there hasn't been much talk about the defensive backs. Last season, there was a lot of miscommunication and broken coverages and poor positioning. Will Clancy Pendergast and the new secondary fix this issue with better coaching and technique? It's from Martin. 
Well, I hope so. I think they're going to make it simpler. I think they're going to play more man. And uh, from what I hear, uh, they teach it slowly. So you make sure you understand the techniques. And most of the players talk very positively about the defensive secondary on how they're learning and they like what's going on. And and uh, it's not a lack of talent, right? I mean, I'm not going to get to this one. And I'm not going to buy in that it's a lack of talent. I just don't buy that, okay? They've got talent. They've got great players out there. It's putting them in the right position where these players can perform. This young kid coming in from Long Beach, Polly Jones, I mean, this kid can play. Uh, they've got, you know, Marshall. They've got to get the players on the field all at the same time. If it's Jones, if it's Langley, if it's uh, Doy Jackson. I mean, they got Tell, Martell. they got players. I mean, uh, they probably have 10 defensive backs or more that are good players, players that can go anywhere. It's getting them lined up correctly, as you mentioned, getting them to understand, don't try to trick people. Just make sure you know who you have and uh, follow your assignment. Be aggressive as well as making sure you don't break down in the secondary. When you break down in the secondary, everybody sees it because it's going to be a big game or a big play or even a touchdown. So you've got to be able to be sound in the secondary. You cannot break down in the secondary. So it's real important that they understand the coverages. You don't have to have a lot of coverages. All you have to do is do them well. And up front, they're going to be more aggressive. So again, that will give them a little bit less time as far as running routes. You're going to see a lot of quick throwing routes routes this year because they know they're coming after them. So they're going to have to throw different types of routes seam routes, quick routes, maybe some screens, a lot of different th- things to try to slow down USC. But remember, you know, if you get the football off in about two seconds, no matter how much you stunt, no matter how you're not going to get to the guy. So you've got to really play well in the secondary. And you've got to be able to play man because if you're stunt, and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about USC being very aggressive, now, if you're real aggressive, that's fine. But if you've got routes where you could throw the ball and you've got great receivers, it's tough because if a guy catches the ball, there's a lot of space out there for him to make plays. So the secondary's got to be really sound and cannot break down. I uh, agree with you, Coach, and it's uh, that's going to be one of the areas to watch. Uh, new, you know, new secondary coach Ronnie Bradford. Um, you know, new scheme more aggressive scheme with Clancy Pendergast and uh, a lot of talent. So it's, you know, high expectations for the USC secondary. Um, what did the switch gears a little bit? USC's opening opponent is of course, Alabama. If you were watching SEC media days, there was a, a really heated uh, interaction between Nick Saban and uh, Paul Feinbaum, who's, you know, covers the SEC is, is pretty much an SEC apologist in a lot of ways. I've, been, I've done the Paul Feinbaum show and he, he was always nice to me. You know, he covers the SEC and it's, a, you know, the biggest conference out there and all that. So him and Nick Saban got into it on camera, off camera. Uh, and it was all about, um, so Cam Robinson is the, you know, one of the best offensive linemen in the country. Him and a teammate were with two other men in a car that was pulled over. The players were arrested. There was a stolen gun in the car and drugs. So those were the kind of the facts. They were arrested. But the DA, the DA decided not to press charges or, or file charges. Um, Nick Saban said that they did internal discipline, but he wasn't going to suspend them. And, and so Paul Feinbaum was, you know, pushing him on that. And, uh, you know, what kind of message does this send to the other players? Um, and then, you know, yesterday they had another player, another offensive lineman get arrested for DUI. Uh, and you could argue, well, I mean, they, they didn't do anything to the, these players that got arrested. Uh, so other players feel they can kind of do whatever they want. They're, that's basically the argument against that, why you should put some kind of discipline in. But anyway, so Rudy wrote in, and uh, he said, Cam Robinson is able to play in the season opener. That's bullspit. If this was SC, we would be sanctioned all over again. The SEC bias has to end, starting with a huge win over them in game one. Uh, so that was Rudy's comments. I wanted to get your thoughts on this whole situation, Coach. 
Well, if uh, you got a couple hours, Ryan, you got a couple no. hours so we could talk about all this stuff. Yeah, well, I've been through a lot of this, huh? You have, and it, we actually have another. Uh, Reggie in Seattle has a completely opposite view that the media is jumping all over this. So I'll, I'll read that one afterwards. But get your thoughts on this first, then I'll read Reggie's thing, and we can kind of discuss that too. Okay. Well, first of all, all coaches uh, do not advocate advocate uh, players getting in trouble. Uh, First of all, uh, it's embarrassing to them. It's embarrassing to the university. And it's embarrassing to the team itself as a whole. Because you get a, a an opinion that this is the only type of players you have on your team, all guys that are guys that are bad guys, guys that are getting in trouble. And that's not true. You have great kids on your football team. And these kids are all embarrassed also. Then you got some guys that just don't listen. I mean, how can you go out and get a DUI after what Coach Saban just went through with these other kids? How can you do that? Well, it's because they don't listen. They've been made stars their entire life. Before they get out of high school, they're a star. They're committing on TV. They're being treated special. They're getting T-shirts and shoes to wear. They're traveling all over the country. Well, those rules are for other people, not for us. And and as a football coach, you've got 120 or 150 guys that you got to be responsible for. Now, coaches don't want their players to get in trouble. Coaches want all their players to graduate from college. Just think what a great and easy job that would be if you don't have any of this. Now, if you're a professor on campus and you have three classes, and let's say a couple of your students on campus get in trouble, same type of way, does anybody write about it? Does anybody care? Does someone call the professor up and say, hey, one of the kids in your classroom got a DUI this weekend. What do you think of that? doesn't. It goes, does anybody call the dean of student activities? Hey, we want to know uh, who's in charge of these kids when they're not on the football field. It's the football coach always responsible for them 24 hours a day, even if they're out of state. Is it him? Responsible? What about the parent or the, the guardian or whoever that – what responsibility does that person have? Any at all? It's all a football coach. The football coach is in charge of them graduating from college, being gentlemen and students, uh, the whole package. So it's the football coach who has to answer for all of this. Now, the football coach himself is trying to win football games because you've got to win football games or else you're going to be gone. So you've got to look at all these players, and it's always a, a funny deal. They're always good players that get in trouble. So now you have to say, do I sacrifice this kid who I know very well, who made a stupid, did a stupid thing? Do I suspend him? Do I get rid of him? Or do I give him a second chance? Everyone makes a mistake in your life. I have. I've gotten many second chances. I don't know if anybody else out there has had a second chance. So you look at it, you know him, you talk to him, and then again you look and you say, now DUI, yes, is breaking the law. Yes, having a gun in your car or or whatever they had in their car, narcotic, whatever the supposed thing is, is breaking the law. But why wasn't charges filed? Now, if charges are filed, now I'm saying, hey, you know what, now i got to see if he's innocent or guilty. Well, right now, there's no charges on the first two guys. No charges. So now you say, now I'm going to kick him off the team and there's no charges. So you have to think about that. Then you call him in and you talk to him and say, I just can't let you get away with this. Because you did something that I'm not up to accepting as far as you remember being a member of our football team. So I've got to show the rest of the team that we don't put up with this whether it's getting up in the morning every day at 4 o'clock, whether it's doing this, community services, going to different type of anger management, whatever the problem is. So you've got to make that decision, and you've got to decide, am I going to set him out a game for who? I don't want to set him out. The team doesn't want him to set out, but the media and everybody else thinks I should set him out. And that's all you hear about. So the same thing with this DUI. Now, this guy knows he can't do that stuff. And, you know, I'm sure Coach Saban has got the word out. I used to have team meetings and say, hey, guys, 
hey, we just we just had a problem here. Let's don't. They're looking for things to to hurt us, okay? Be smart about what you do. And I had a meeting like this once, and 10 minutes later, after the meeting, I get a call from the police department. They picked up one of my players from walking out of a store with a pair of tennis shoes on he didn't buy. Now, how do you answer that? What do you say? Well, I was so upset that I, I kicked him off the team. I said, we just had a meeting 10 minutes ago. You're done. You're out of here. You don't even hear what I'm saying. Because I felt that was the time and that that's how I felt at that time. And he's gone. And now I talk to that kid all the time. That kid thanks me for what he did. Because he went on to another university, played against us. And I'm not sure if he beat us or not, but did a great job. But that might have been a changing part of his life. So, you know, you feel responsible to these kids, yet... You know, the media doesn't write about all the great things that happen in your program. Let me, what would you write about if I graduated every student, never had an incident on or off the field, never had a penalty during the game, never had a drop touchdown pass? Would it be exciting to read the article? What are you going to write about during the summer months that everybody went to summer school, everybody got an A, nobody got in trouble, no one missed a weight workout, there's nothing. So everybody's starving for this stuff, especially the papers right now. I will not read the newspapers as far as the front page and so on on what we're going through right now. I can't take it. It's depressing to see the state of you-know-what. So I think you've got to have an understanding if you're a parent. You've got to have an understanding if you're a teacher. You've got to understand if you've been an administrator or a coach or even a corporate president or you have young people that work with you that you're in charge of or older people who need a break that you understand what coach Saban and other coaches are talking about and thinking about it's not easy it's not something you just say okay this is what I'm going to do or this is what you're going to do because if I graduate all my kids and they all get A's and we don't win all our football games, I'm gone. Nobody could care less about that portion of it. They care about what happens on the field. Yeah. Okay. So that's the bottom line. And I think that's the best way to answer. It. So coach. And then, so Reggie from Seattle wrote in too. Now this was responding to, uh, from PAC 12 media day. Uh, I did a podcast with, uh, Keely, you're our, um, intern. And then Bruce Feldman from Fox sports who was there. Um, he had just flown in from SEC media days. So he was down there and was able to talk to Nick Saban and, and get the, the lay of the land of everything that was going on down there. There was also an incident with uh, Mississippi state and Dan Mullen who suspended their, you know, they had a five-star recruit. Mississippi state doesn't get a lot of five-star recruits, five-star recruit videotape of him, uh, beating up his girlfriend. Um, and he, and Dan Mullen suspended him for one game against South Alabama. So there was a lot of talk that, he should have been suspended for more, but if he would, he just wouldn't have come to Mississippi State. He would have transferred and gone, or, you know, uh, got out of his letter of intent and gone somewhere else. So there was that issue kind of going on as well. Um, so Reggie wrote it and said, I was listening to the podcast when you discussed Coach Saban and his reaction to suspending one of his players. What's baffling here is why, as reporters, and I use that term very loosely, didn't the reporter do their research on the matter? Most media guys, yourself included, are focused on headlines. Uh, you care less about the facts and do even less to get the facts. Totally irresponsible. The Fox reporter went so far as to make the statement that Simmons pummeled a woman to the ground. If you watch the video, there was way more to that situation. Uh, more and more of those so-called reporters and media pundits report lies. And when a coach who has the facts uh, defends one of his players, the media calls it selective justice. Without the facts, it's all black and white with the media. A player arrested, they must be guilty, right? So why not kick them off the team or suspend them a few games? It's just that simple, right? And when it doesn't happen the way the ill-informed media thinks, as reckless as they tend to be, then it's automatically some type of cover-up. It's getting downright uh, flagrant the way the media reports uh, things these days. I really think we should start holding these self-appointed media pundits responsible for the fake and ill-advised stories they report. There should be more consequences for the media. Reggie in Seattle, Washington. And I don't know about... I, I'm not sure where he's getting the fake stuff or, I mean, there is a video of the, you know, striking of the woman and, you know, p beating her to the ground. 
the you know, the report came out when those players were arrested from Alabama. Uh, a stolen gun was in the car, and illegal drugs were in the car, and they were arrested for it. Now the charges weren't get filed, and there was the DA gave reasons why that was, and it wasn't that he didn't think they were guilty of that. Um, yeah, no charges are going to be filed in that situation, but these are certainly situations you would not want your players to be in. And in my opinion, some sort of, I don't think there's anything making it up. Some sort of discipline is warranted. Um, you know, we saw the Ray Rice stuff where there really wasn't anything going on until the video came out of what he did. And then it was, you know, it, it was a much bigger deal and they, they beefed up the suspension. And so in the one case you do have video and there still wasn't a, a big suspension. So that's, that's kind of my take on it. I don't know where Reggie's getting the, the making stuff up or, or falsifying things. Um, it's just the media's opinion and the people's opinion uh, of what's going on. So maybe get your thoughts on all that too, Coach. Well, let me tell you, I used to tell the media, the reporters would call me and say, Coach, we just heard so-and-so was arrested or we just heard this or we just heard that. And I would say, well, I don't know the details of it or whatever's going on or whatever. But I'd say, please make sure you do your homework. I used to say that. Do your homework. I mean, uh, I don't even know what to tell you. Because you know more about me than I do. I haven't talked to anybody. No one's spoken to me. Because uh, it's very important on what the headlines say. People don't even read the article. But the headlines describe what happened. And uh, I think it's uh, important to understand it. I also agree that uh, a certain crime or a certain thing that happens is not tolerated. Okay just cannot be tolerated and if it's proven that these type of incidents happen then you cannot allow it that's just the way it is i'm not in favor of any type of uh, violence at all in that manner and it's not tolerated that's just the way it is and and when you do take a player like that and continue uh, you're going to be criticized and you should understand that at the very beginning because you're going to get it and in some instances you deserve it it's uh, it's it's a very fine line on what's right and what's wrong and what you do as a football coach and as a person who has young people's lives involved in what you do the media really don't know the kids they really don't know their backgrounds they really don't know uh, what they're struggling with or what how they got to where they are and it's easy for them to make a quick decision on what they should do and what they shouldn't do. It's, it is very easy that way when you don't really know what's going on. But yet again, that young person represents your university and your football program. It does not look good for to have those type of people in your program or have it happen. But it's happening. It's not just uh, certain schools. It's happening at a lot of schools. And it's not just in the football program. It's in a lot of areas of the school. Things happen when you have 40,000 people in a small area on a campus. But again, players are magnified to being so big now on who they are, and four-star, five-star, this, that, that these guys are targeted, and they have to know that, and they have to understand that they've got to follow the same rules and regulations as everybody else. And the only way it's going to happen is if there's a some type of legislation rule that says these crimes or these incidents, if proven guilty and actually happen, are suspended, like the NFL does. You are suspended for a year. Now, you can still go to that same university, or you can not. But you must sit out a year. You can go to junior college. I don't know if the junior college would allow them to play or not, but they probably would. So, you know, you've got to, it's got to be something for everybody. Otherwise, each individual coach makes the decision on his own. Some are doing it. And when somebody approves his kids playing, the other guy has to play against them. And if he suspends them, his chance of beating that guy isn't as good. So it comes down to, again, winning and losing. He's doing it, and I'm not. That's not fair. So it all comes down to, I think, a philosophy of what you abide by and what you don't. And it's uh, it's not easy, guys. It's not easy to be a football coach. It's not easy to have to decide. These are the worst type of things you have to administer as a football coach or administrator because 
it's uh, it's something that uh, it draws headlines. And if you do something, it's wrong. If you do it the other way, you're wrong. So you know, you just have to decide what you're going to do and, and go with it, and be ready to be criticized or whatever. All right. Well, we'll we'll hear more about that as uh, the opener from USC and Alabama get closer. Another player, there's potential. Uh, for a suspension there, could miss the opener again. Who knows? We, we're not sure if that's going to happen. But we'll keep you updated. The, the arrest just happened yesterday. Um, I'm going to tell you, he, I'm going to tell you he's going to suspend him, okay? You think he will this time? Yeah, because he took so much heat on the others that this is not like the others. They're, you know, he, he, they, they arrested him and, and so on, and he's got a, whatever they have to do with DUI. Well, the other players know. were arrested too. I mean, and, you know, they. Yeah, but they didn't file anything on him. Yeah, I mean, you I could mean, not file charges in the DUI. Also, I mean, I'm, I'm you know, and that takes a while to to go through all the court. I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't know. But, I'll see what happens. Yeah. But I'm just guessing. I don't know. I mean, who knows? All I know is uh, it's a lot of stress, and everybody has their opinion. And I know exactly what Paul Feinbein was doing. I really do. He just wanted to get some straight answers. Yeah. And and I think Nick Saban was sort of avoiding his questions and said, "I'm not going to talk about it anymore." But Paul didn't let it die. He wanted to keep knowing, well, wait a minute now. How can you say this or how can you say that? And after a while, you know, he had a short fuse. And uh, I don't think, I think they like each other. At least Paul said they do. Yeah. But I think he was irritated about hearing about it so much, Nick Saban, that it, you sort of, you know, you've got to control your emotions as a football coach. You've got to think before you talk, no matter who you are. And I think he sort of lost it. And Paul was, uh, on it. I don't know if last night you saw 60 Minutes or not, but if you watched 60 Minutes last night, uh, the interview with uh, Donald Trump and his vice president uh, candidate was a strong interview, too, uh, as far as uh, them having to answer questions. And this is the type of things uh, that happen today. The media is strong. You have people that get out there and ask you the question, and when you don't answer it, they want you to answer it. Yeah. So... Uh, this is what you deal with when you're in that type of position. Well, he gets paid $7 million a year, so he should answer all the questions that come his way. Um, okay, one last topic, Coach. And this was something that came up uh, on the solo podcast about the all-time. So they were talking about the all-time freshman team. So true freshmen that played and contributed uh, for USC. And actually ran into Sean Cody at Pac-12 Media Day. And, uh, talk to him about that because he was, you know, he was a contributor. He, he said he ended up starting like towards the end of his, you know, but he played a lot his freshman year. Um, so I want to read a couple of the comments. I told people to write in if they had more comments on, on, you know, I tried to go that, uh, I think it was, I think Bear Secutor wrote the list up of what he thought. And I kind of added some names or put my thoughts in there with some of those guys. And then people were, I asked people, Hey, write in. Wait, I didn't do any research on this. Write in. And then Marty wrote in. Uh, he talked about uh, Malifu McKenzie, who was a freshman fullback, um, and he had a big contribution. I was trying to think of it, he wasn't actually the player I was thinking of. Um, there's another one, a Polynesian player that that ended up going to the Eagles, and I'm blanking on his name still. I could, I guess, I could have looked it up since then, but but Malifu McKenzie is certainly one that contributed. Uh, Barrett wrote in and said, just young for a tight end, and and uh, Marty's thinking that was Charles Young, a great tight end that played. In the 1974 USC vs. Notre Dame game, when the Trojans came back from a 24 to 6 deficit to crush the Irish 55 to 24. So it's probably Charles Young who was talking about. Um, we also had John write in and said, uh, inside linebackers Chip Banks and uh, Ricky Gray, who later became Ricky Ellison. Uh, they came in and immediately started for John Robinson on a national championship team in 1978. He said, I lived in the same dorm as Chip Banks our freshman year. Residence West and Ricky Gray wore number 35, which started a num- another number tradition at USC. Uh, Cam Smith is the latest one to wear that. Scott Ross, uh, I think, um, uh, Jeff Kopp was another one that wore 35. Uh, he said another nominee to add, uh, is true, uh, freshman safety Mark Carrier. Uh, Mark was one of the first Trojans to jump early in the NFL after just three seasons. Jim Thorpe award winner his junior year and another long, line of Long Beach Poly defensive backs at USC. So there's another couple of good names. And then lastly, Dan from the class of 1962, um, he said the, uh, you're asked about the picks for the all freshman team. And it was difficult to answer, not only because so many great players have come to USC, 
but also because freshmen were not eligible for varsity for about 30 years from 1945 to approximately 1975. During those years, USC had freshman-only teams called the Tro-Babes, and there was no such thing as red shirts. Also, I believe that the kicker, David Beeler, you referenced, was a transfer from Santa Ana Junior College. I believe that's correct. Uh, never was a freshman at USC. Uh, 1971 USC Tro-Babe team would have been a great all-star varsity team with Pat Hayden, J.K. McKay, Anthony Davis, and many other stars who became part of the 1972 team acknowledged as one of the best in college football history. What are your thoughts, uh, Coach Hyde, about freshman eligibility? Thanks, as always, Dan, from the class of 1962. Well, you know, uh, I coached, too, when they had the freshman teams, and I didn't like it. It used a whole year of eligibility. Uh, for maybe three games if they played. Uh, and uh, I liked it to a point if you redshirted all those players and you didn't have a freshman team, I thought it was great uh, because you had a chance to have your freshman go against the varsity. And at that time, everybody wasn't jumping to the NFL. Everybody stayed in college, and you became a year older and stronger. And if I had the best players, my players got stronger and better than your players. And they went against the varsity every single day and had to face some great players and became football players and knew what it was. And when they became a, a freshman the next year, they were ready to play. They were ready to play as a freshman. Today, uh, freshmen are younger. They're younger kids when they come in. And if they, they want to play, they all want to get on the field. Why they're all thinking more about the NFL if they're a great player than they are possibly at that time of uh, winning. And being a team, and I and I just don't like that. I just don't like the idea of coming out early. I just don't like it. I don't even like the rule about graduation and you can transfer. I don't like that rule. I don't think that's loyally to the people that got you your degree and gave you all your free education. Then all of a sudden you say your senior year, well, I'll see you later. I don't like that rule either. I think it's just not right. It's been going, and you see players doing it all the time, and coaches doing it all the time. It's like, almost like blackmail. If you don't start me, I'm leaving. So a lot of players have left and done well. And it's been good for them. And it uh, also uh, gives them an opportunity to get their degree. But where do they graduate from? Who are they really loyal to? If you played at USC and you transferred and you graduated, okay, do you come back to that campus and feel like you're a Trojan? Or do you feel like a traitor? I mean, who do you attach yourself to as an alumnus? The school you went to or at USC? I don't know. I, that's a good question. I'd like to ask someone, are you still a Trojan? Are you accepted back here? Or did you go play against USC or leave because of some other reason, uh, because they were put on sanctions or whatever? It's really how you feel as far as an individual on your views on that. I think that it's hard to say what were the greatest freshmen ever, the freshmen at USC, but they've had so many great players, I can't even start on it. Uh, obviously, people know more and can remember more about the past than I can as far as who contributed more and as a young player at USC than I can. So I think it's a great question. I think everybody's got an opinion, and I don't think you'll ever know. Yeah, I agree. It was tough. I mean, I, it was. it's great to hear people's... Um suggestions but it's also weird to know that you know a, a prominent portion you know especially that you know during the 60s and and early 70s freshmen couldn't even play so it's there's no way and and we hear more and more now especially the last you know decade or so you know you see the Matt Barkley's of the world starting as a true freshman um that stuff wasn't really happening before for quarterbacks uh you know you'd have redshirt freshmen and stuff but usually not true freshmen and uh, offensive linemen too coming in and making contributions right away. Usually those are positions that kind of take a little seasoning and it's, it's a different era of college football now. So you're seeing it more. So I think that kind of question is more skewed towards modern college football, especially with like 30 years, like the, you know, like uh, Dan said of just being gone where you couldn't have a, a true freshman start. But uh, I thought it was an interesting question and a topic I wanted to get your thoughts on since you've, you've coached in that era when you right. know freshmen weren't even eligible. Right. Uh, that's exactly right. That's when I was in junior college, too, and I used to try to sell a kid that come and play for us 12 games and you'd be farther ahead 
than just going against the varsity. And if we could get your grades or if you were a qualifier, you could transfer immediately. And we had a lot of kids that did that. They would come play one year and then go to USC or then go to another school or go to Cal because they were already, already a qualifier. And in some cases, they'd go to the same school that they had signed their letter of intent to. Now, the university didn't like that. And a lot of parents didn't like it either because what if that kid got hurt? But sometimes you got a lot more experience playing that year in community college than sitting around, and you really found out how good you were. And then when you transferred to that university, you knew really who your competition was. But, you know, that's just the way that we used to have to recruit to, to try to compete with great players too. Yeah. All right. Well, Coach, great stuff. A lot of different topics today. Um, man, for, for summer, there's so much football to talk about. It's great. We're looking forward to uh, when camp actually starts and seeing you out there on the sidelines watching college football and watching football practices and stuff. But in the meantime, we're, I think we're holding our own here, and thanks for everyone sending those questions and lots of great topics to talk about. want to thank everybody for being a part of the huddle here today. And, uh, Ryan, again, thank you very much, and I'll talk to you next week. Sounds good, Coach. Thank you uh, very much for coming on. And everyone else, thanks so much for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. We'll try to do a couple more episodes this week. Again, send in your questions, podcast at uscfootball.com. Any topic you want to discuss, we will do our best to tackle it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 